It's time for Supply Chain Now. Broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain. The people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts. Hey, good morning, Scott Luton, Greg White, and Kevin L. Jackson right here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's Supply Chain Buzz. Greg, Kevin, how are we doing? Outstanding. Oh, no, no. How how could you not be feeling good? You're on the buzz, man. Thank you for the invite. (laughs) This is great. Well, we had so much fun Thursday. Uh, Greg and I, we, we said, look, we got to carry Kevin right on into the buzz. Yeah. Uh, and we knew, uh, Kevin, that today was going to be a great day for Greg because the Chiefs triumphantly made it into their second straight Super Bowl. So we knew Greg's going to be flying high coming into the buzz today, right? I'm uh, I was wondering. Yeah, I'm introspective <laughs> on it. Yes. So I, I do feel like I'm a little bit spoiled already. Well, <laughs> Hey, the Chiefs deserve it after after uh, you know several years. years. There we go, fifty years. But <laughs> it was, was fun in case anyone's wondering. Yeah. So Kevin, get this: uh, a, last year after the Super Bowl, uh, we had a early morning flight on that Monday morning to go to Vegas for a trade show. Right. And it just just Greg's luck. You know, we had to hop on a plane at you know eight o'clock the morning uh-huh. after the Chiefs break and went, you know, break off 50 years of history right. and win their first Super Bowl. But hey, we still celebrate a little bit on the on the plane ride out, didn't we, Greg? We did. And I I did I have to confess I watched that game 15 times that week while we were <laughs> in Vegas. Well, look, Every- I'm celebrating too. I'm still celebrating. The Washington football team making it to the playoffs. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, Evan, I have to tell you, after watching that backup quarterback, Heineke, and that run that he had to the end zone, I I had to have to admit there ought to be a hashtag out there called the Heineke maneuver because (laughs) that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. That was a truly impressive showing uh, the way that he played. Man. We can't get enough football, uh, but hey, uh, we got a big game uh, two weeks, I guess, from yesterday, so that'll be fun to watch. We'll have to have a viewing party or something in, in, mm-hmm. in Greg's honor, but today is all about the buzz, the buzz, some of the leading stories from across global supply chain, really global yeah. business. Really pleased that Kevin can join Greg and I, um, and, and, and as, as mo- many folks in our community know, uh, Kevin, when he's not making news himself, <laughs> he uh, has written uh, a wonderful book called Click to Transform, which has hit a number of, of best-selling lists. And he leads our Digital Transformer series right here on Supply Chain Now. So today's all about the buzz. We've got uh, uh, several stories we're going to dive into. We're going to say hello to a few folks. But really quick, if you enjoy today's conversation, be sure to find Supply Chain Now, Tequila Sunrise, you name it, wherever you get your podcast from. Today, we published one of our new series called Dial P for procurement with Kelly Barner, buyer's meeting point. Yeah. Greg and Kevin, talk about a, a, a functional space that really has come front and center into the C-suite. It would be procurement, right? My oh, yeah. singular purpose is to get people to recognize, including Kelly, 
that it's okay to be part of supply chain and and that procurement is part of that. <laughs> I think there there are so many, right? There we've talked about this before with Kelly. There are so many people who draw a line there. And in truth, that that uh, synergy is really, really important. Excellent. Well, point. yeah, as as everything going virtual, it's important to understand all the components of your your ecosystem as a business. And while procurement and supply chain may be two technically two different functions, they have to flow together. And from a technology point of view, that really goes to like the APIs or application programming interfaces that you have to build and have with all of your partners, both your suppliers and your customers. Mm. So, you know, uh, I'll just shake in my head there at, when you went into that that high, highfalutin technology acronym, Kevin. <laughs> it, it reminded me of when uh, last week Sophia is with us here. Good morning, Sophia. Her and Enrique began talking uh, in Spanish about supply chain now in Espanol. And I got oh. a couple of texts. Look at look at Scott just nodding his head because he doesn't know anything that they're sharing. So I don't know it like that. But, hey, we're, we're pushing our boundaries, and, and I'm going to be an expert in API uh, the more I hang out and rub elbows with you and Greg. So let's say, uh, speaking of which, let's say hello to a few folks before we dive into some of the new stories here. We've got Fod tuned in via LinkedIn. Great to have you, sir. Kevin Bell is back. Whoa. And the 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 quote of 2020, Greg, was? It's possible to take advantage of an opportunity without being, being opportunistic. That is right, Kevin. Your ears have been burning throughout the year. I hope you just yeah. find you well. Pratik is back. Good afternoon, supply chain now fan, uh, community. Great to have you here, Pratik. Gary Smith is with us. Uh, Peter, man, negative 14 Celsius. Plus, oh, plus no, that's shield. cold already. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, and, and I don't want to know, by the way, in Fahrenheit. That's right. I, I saw somebody said a snowy Arizona. Okay. Um. <laughs> if you get far enough north, you should be able to get that. But uh, I hope it's not snowing in Phoenix. I can tell you the day that it snowed in Phoenix when I was there. <laughs> Daria, great to have you here on the buzz. Pratik says, can't imagine negative 14 Celsius. I'm with you, Pratik. Uh, Sophia yeah. is with us last Monday of January. Sophia, I hope this finds wow. you well. Peter says, go Bucks." Sylvia, greetings from the chilly, holy city of Charleston. Yeah. And let's see here. Kevin I'm Thomas. still nursing that blueberry jam, by the way. <laughs> uh, Rhonda, in the second jar now. <laughs> morning from a snowy Arizona. That's what you're talking about, Kevin. How about yeah. that, Rhonda? Great to have you here. Jenny Froome is with us. Hello from lovely wet. Jay Berg, great to have you here, Jenny. And one final one, Larry Klein is with us in Albany. Albany, Albany. I think I got it. There you go. Albany. Very good. Uh, LK, great to have you here on LinkedIn with us here. All right. So yeah, kind of interesting. You got that uh, from uh, Jay Berg, Johannesburg. This morning, I got an invitation from uh, Africa Social. I guess I got to jump on that now. <laughs> They're checking up on you, uh, Kevin. <laughs> Jenny's here making sure she's checking the box. Yeah. Uh, great to have everybody. Why haven't he responded yet? Now you know, Jenny. <laughs> no, no, no. It was Jenny. <laughs> Working. <laughs> well, we've got some some big news stories we're going to walk through here. We're going to kind of do some quick hitters on the front end. We're going to yeah. have Jamin, Jamin Alvidrez give us an uh, on-the-scene report 
from the port of LA, uh, which is going to be really cool. And then we're going to dive into Instacart. We're going to dive into what the Biden administration have uh, in, in store for helping supply chains chock full. So let's dive right in. Greg, yeah. Kevin, y'all ready? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So first story here today, we've got a new demand spike for these natural gloves. As reported by Supply Chain Dive, the new demand is driven by new glove wearing policies, big part of it. You know, think of grocery clerks and e-commerce pickers and packers that need kind of an all-day solution. So it's, it's contributing to big demand. Supply, y'all have heard probably here in uh, recent months, has been constrained in a couple of ways. First off, the largest global producer is Top Glove. It had a COVID outbreak, had to shut down, get this, over two dozen plants. And new entrants into the market that are trying to serve that, you know, serve that void. Well, they're having a hard time getting their hands on key resources such as raw nitrile from Asia and Europe. In fact, uh, there's some U.S. suppliers getting crunk, uh, getting cranked up, and equipment like ceramic molds that they need to form the gloves. They're hard to find right now. Imagine that. The Shawa Group. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They've got a plant in Alabama. Get this. They're they're set to triple production. In 2019, they already had made adjustments, even pre-pandemic, great planning on their on their uh, on their behalf to double production. Right in 2019, well, they just added they're going to hey we're going to triple it and be ready to go here in the months ahead. On a separate uh, PPE related note, as I was as I was reading through the story and looking at a few others, unfortunately, we've seen some price gouging. A 60 minute story in December quoted a healthcare CEO that said pre-pandemic. There we go. What, what was <laughs> I just saw AA come online, so I just wanted to make sure he knows. I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were showing a really tangible example of. No, of no, 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 sorry. I was like, what up? Sorry. <laughs> um, so pre-pandemic, get this. This is from a healthcare CEO. Said that hospital gowns, 30 cents. Now, over $9. Holy cow. Now, now, now clearly, demand will... Will will prop up some of that pricing undoubtedly, as any free market will. But man, over nine dollars, so no shortage of stories here across the healthcare supply chain. Greg, well, any any initial thoughts on your end? Yeah, well, you know, long ago I worked with a company called Henry Shine, and we started sourcing outside China in Malaysia for nitrile gloves, and um, because they're they're more hypoallergenic. Um, than latex gloves. So uh, that's been a supply chain that has long been growing. I think there are, there are a lot of producers also in in India as well. Mm. Um, but it gives you an idea because there is a significant amount of capacity. It gives you an idea of just how significant the demand is that we're outstripping capacity by that amount. But also the impact of, did you say a dozen plants being shut yeah, down? 28, wow. I think, was the last count I saw. Yeah, we're going to uh, talk more about it later, but this goes to show how dependent we are on the uh, international supply chain links and how vulnerable we Mm -hmm. are. And that's one of the reasons why there's been so much quick action by the new administration. Yeah, agreed. Uh, We'll talk a lot more about that. You know, one other thing to point out here beyond the story itself is this was one of Emma Cosgrove's last reports at Supply Chain Dive. want to give a big tip of the hat and high five to Emma, who is joining the Business Insider team. So hopefully we can reconnect with her and have her on the buzz in the months to come. Let's say yeah. a, 
a few other folks that 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 joined in really quick. We had Thor tuned in from Minneapolis, Minnesota via LinkedIn. Thor, hope this finds you well. Christina via LinkedIn. Kruthika uh, from Chicago via LinkedIn. I wonder what the weather's like there. Right. Yeah. So I was wondering about what's the temperature in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if your name's Thor Hansen. Temperature doesn't even impact you, does it? It doesn't even matter. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, David, good afternoon or good morning, good afternoon. Um, I believe, and, and Amanda, correct me if I'm wrong, that your uh, T-shirt is on the way. I think that went out this weekend. So we're a little bit, the, the T-shirt supply chain is running behind here. Uh, <laughs> AA in the air capital city of the air capital of the world. Great to have you. And and you already got the, the secret communique from Mr. Greg White. Um, Tanner Foster, Tanner, who came out of that UGA supply chain, Kevin and Greg, now he is in industry doing big things in supply chain. Great to have you here. Uh, let's see here. Kevin's done representation of of Henry Shine. How about that? Small world. Tom Raftery. Tom, congratulations on episode 100 of digital supply chain. Great to have you here with us today. All right. So let's keep driving. We've got some more stories, uh, to, share and talk through let's see this next one all right so i'm going to lean heavily on both of you gentlemen here because this was a uh, we were processing a lot of information in an industry that uh is relatively new to me that's semiconductors amongst other things so intel has a new ceo pat gelsinger a chip engineer with 30 years of intel experience is coming back to take the helm he'd left for six or seven years i think with nvidia bob swan who's been serving for a couple years is stepping down in february uh, one of the articles I ran across said the engineers are back in command of Intel. Uh, now, Intel, nothing new. They've had troubles for several years now from wide range product development to including manufacturing. And this article points out via CNET that one of the tough decisions that new CEO Pat Gelsinger might have to make is to outsource even more of its production, essentially to rivals such as TSMC or, or even Samsung. Mm-hmm. Uh, A strategist interviewed for this story said that that would be called heresy at old school (laughs) Intel, which clearly prided itself on making what it designed. Now, I tried to find a a really good number because there are they have been outsourcing uh, production already uh, for a number of years. And the best number I could find was about 20 percent has been outsourced at Intel. So maybe heresy has already been been um, uh, taking place. But a couple quick thoughts on this development here, Greg. What's your take? Well, the extent of what I know about semiconductors is that they are in virtually everything and they are why the valley is called Silicon Valley. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality of it is, is that's an industry that has been changing like so many industries with economics over time with so much more outsourcing and so much more off, offshoring of, of production. So my instinct tells me that especially with a with a widely now geographically dispersed workforce here in the states that that more outsourcing and offshoring is likely in that industry and there are specific uh countries in southeast asia gearing up to do precisely that so you have an option besides china to do it yeah excellent points you you mentioned precisely i couldn't get it out precisely but uh, a, a big trend in the business is going uh, some of the electrical electrical components that go on the chips going from 14 nanometers uh to seven cutting it in half so so even getting more precision 
manufacturing. So, Kevin, what's some of your, your thoughts here? Well, actually, the first thing that comes to my mind is the marketplace is expanding so fast. When you think about the Internet of Things, that's really driving uh, rapid expansion as they put these chips into literally everything. Mm -hmm. That the um, Internet of Things is being merged with artificial intelligence in order to deliver what's known as ambient computing. And this Mm. is something you probably want to go look up. The idea of computing without even knowing that you're computing. Like Alexa has been recognized as the first ambient computer. It's, It's always there sitting, listening to you. And when you're talking, it's computing, right? Mm. That's part of the Internet of Things. It's scary, right? We don't know how to deal with this, but it's not going away. And as the market expands into the Internet of, of Everything, if if Intel wants to stay or you know get back to the top of the market, they have to ramp up manufacturing and you know outsourcing may be the way. Yeah. Yeah, Scott, I see the lips. I don't hear you. Oh, there we go. Sorry. The <laughs> meat button. Uh, okay. My mixer was not listening to me in an ambient fashion. Uh, that, that's interesting. I, I bet that tr- puts a ton of pressure on these ships since they're on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really fascinating. You know, we, we talked to Greg in automotive. You know, auto, you had automotive plants here in recent weeks that have had to um, shut down production lines. While they're sourcing these chips, because they're, to your point, they are everywhere. Demand, uh, it's a great time to be in a chips business if you can uh, design it and make it right now, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. margins are really tight in the industry now, unlike what they used to be. But, uh, you know, that the you can make it up in volume. Mm. <laughs> let's volume, say volume, volume. that's right <laughs> let's say a little hello to a few folks here so tom says it's 20 degrees here 20 degrees celsius so about 40 degrees separate from uh our other friend there thor 15 degrees mark says glad to be in georgia after hearing all this today mark hope this Amen. <laughs> uh let's see here uh gosh peter is putting math in the uh comment oh, I'm, no. gonna, I'm gonna keep on skipping right along I'll oh, my. Math free zone. <laughs> that's right math free zone. <laughs> ed says that u.s government's trying to bring it back and and, and really one of the, the wall street journal article i read ed uh, went straight to your point because uh, it would be a loss for the U.S. manufacturing if if Intel continues to outsource more and more. Great point. Robotics uh, play a big part in that. I mean, if we really want to be able to compete, we can't continue to have that process be manual. The talent is too expensive, and the process is too slow. Excellent point, Greg. Sophia, IQ Boost, Ambient Computing. She's dropping in uh, uh, more information. <laughs> Love that, Sophia. And, I, and and by the way, Sophia, I really appreciated your write-up on last week's live stream that we did with Truckers Against Trafficking. So a quick follow-up point there, really quick, um, is we are making Truckers Against Trafficking, uh, and Amanda and Clay, if y'all can maybe drop the notes in the comments, our nonprofit of the quarter. So we're going to find ways of, of making sure they're front and center in, in a lot of our programming and see if we can't do what Peter and David did and, and several others here in the comments, you know, directly contribute, right? Help help mm-hmm. these nonprofits that are, that are they've rescued over 1,300 folks uh, from trafficking, you know, help, help them uh, in their mission. So thanks so much for that, Sophia. 
Rhonda says, so fascinating, Kevin. Kind of like the mind does thinking for us uh, unconsciously. Yep. Excellent points. Tom says, stop saying Alexa. My house is going wild. (laughs) (laughs) Alexa, tell Tom to wash his dishes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, well, thanks to you both for making that uh, story and the development uh, much more approachable. That's one thing I love about both of y'all is is you, you make tough to understand content more approachable for anyone, whether they're they've got a, a master's in engineering or not. So appreciate that. Let's hit our third story here. If we're going to bring this back into the feed. So we're talking about lost containers. So, you know, Greg, wasn't too long ago that we did a spot with Jamin, which we're going to see here momentarily on just our where where are all these containers? Well, get this. So this was reported. This comes to us from the Wall Street Journal, uh, Costas Parish, which does a great job covering supply chain. The Maersk Essen, Essen probably, lost about 750 containers a, a couple weeks wow. ago as it was making its way from China to L.A. Heavy seas. An investigation is still underway, but it continues a string, a surprising string, of costly container losses. Get this. Ocean Network Express lost about 2,000 containers when one of its ships hit a storm off the coast of Hawaii. Early reports just on that loss uh, say insurance claims could hit two, over $200 million. Whew. The article points to these losses. The article points to a couple of factors here. One, the explosive demand right has many ships getting maxed out and stacked to the absolute top. And two, uh, and I'll have to defer to our sailing captain here, uh, Mr. Greg White, parametric rolling. So basically when a ship gets hit by large waves to the side of the vessel rather than head on. So if you think about these container ships that are stacked high, you probably, and, and I, I, I've driven all of zero container ships, but I imagine they want to hit those waves head on rather than side to side, given how top heavy they are. So that parametric rolling is what early investigation is pointing to losing some of these losses. One, one last data point. I'm going to get Greg and Kevin to weigh in. Uh, according to an article, the World Shipping Council published data not too long ago that shows between 2008 and 2019, here's some context, an average of 1,300, 1,382 1, to be exact, containers were lost at sea each year. Well, in just two incidents, and there's been others that the article points to, we are clearly over 3,000 already in the first, uh, not even the first month of the new year. So not off to a good start. Greg, any initial thoughts there? Yeah, you're, you're dead on with the parametric rolling thing, first of all. And that is, um, you know, you always want to be head long into a wave. Uh, you know, you don't have to imagine, imagine what it's like for the containers. Just try standing up when waves are hitting you side to side. And two is that, and this is just a, Bit of a surprise for those of you who have the goal of sailing around the world, as I do. Um, your your um, what should I say? Containers adrift are an order of magnitude, a number of orders of magnitude higher risk than piracy or storms mm. in um, in damaging or sinking boats around the world, because not all of these containers sink; some of them float. Uh, and sailing at night, you can't. You sometimes can't see it. In fact, there's a whole uh, there's a whole movie about um, <laughs> someone who hits a container. Really? Yeah. Well, uh, look it up. Titanic. 
What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of hitting icebergs, you hit containers. Yeah, <laughs> no fun. Either way, it happens more frequently than you would imagine. But the truth is, um, this is just irresponsible shipping, frankly, um, to over, overfill these ships like this uh, and then send them to seas that we know are rough, particularly this time of year. Mm. You know, uh, back in the days when we had to follow the trade winds, when we were actually sailing with commercial ships, the seas were a lot more calm when when you were sailing. Mm. Um, and now you can sail any time of year in any direction because of, you know, because of um, engines, of course. And companies have gotten careless, mm. angry. I, I, when, I, when I grab this image here, uh, it, 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 and it comes via Bloomberg News. It reminded me of my son Ben's room. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it felt right at home here. But Kevin, uh, a couple thoughts from you on this container crisis. So you know, sometimes you do things you you never know if it would be valuable or not. But <laughs> a few weeks ago, I was looking at um, I guess Discovery Channel disasters at sea, and. Mm. It was a show about a container ship and that sunk. And, and, and they were trying to figure out why and how it had sank. Come to find out that it was in heavy seas and they had left a hatch open in the front of the ship and it was filling with water. So as it was going over the waves, also it was loaded improperly with the containers. And as it was going over the waves, the front end got heavier and heavier and heavier until the point that it basically broke its back and sunk. Mm -hmm. um, and so you're, you're, you're thinking about the um, pressures on the supply chain. They're looking to overload these containers. Um, we may see a lot more ships sinking because of, Improper weight and balance on, mm. on the uh, on, on the ship. That you know that happens in aircraft all the time. Mm. So maybe we really need to look at training um, to improve or the visibility or to make sure that the uh, captains really know uh, what to check, especially if they're going in a heavy weather. Kevin, great points, and and I, I want to recall, and I'll. Uh, I was Air Force, you were Navy, a graduate yeah. of Annapolis. I've read in recent years that U.S. Navy has has tried to double down on on real uh, navigation training, hands-on navigation training, because so much is automated these days. And there's been a couple incidents that some of the investigations have pointed to as as too reliant on automation. So just uh, yeah, a bit of uh, trivia, you know what what do you know about Kevin Jackson? I actually qualified OOD underway on the USS. Uh, Roosevelt, a nuclear carrier. So, uh, <laughs> wow, man, y'all two, let's just have a sailing live stream at some point. To yeah, I did a lot of sailing at the Naval Academy. Great, yeah. we need to get out sometime. Yeah, yeah, anytime. I'm going. Oh. I'm going out to. I'm going to Brunswick for a sea trial shortly. So okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> Maybe headed your way. We'll see. <laughs> Hey, that's what we use for the buzz, right? Making these connections, getting these sailors out, uh, sailing the seven seas. All right, so let's share a few comments here. Ed's taking us back to the semiconductors. Production takes a ton of capital. Great point there, um, Ed. Let's see here. Um, Sylvia talks about the forces of water 
a roll list or pitch can be devastating clearly. Appreciate that, Sylvia. Tom asked a great question. I don't know. Do the containers show up on radar? They can, if but a lot of a lot of sailing yachts don't have radar. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they can show up on radar, but also they can, you know, part part of the risk with a sailing yacht is often people sail through the night, and they aren't on deck. That you know they may be letting the autopilot run the run the sh- the even the sailing yacht. So mm-hmm. not, also also not a good idea, but. Sylvia says if the containers float they should show up on radar since radar picks up anything above water experts please help so beyond what depending on the size of the waves that's true I mean if it if it flits in and out you know that can be an issue now I can't see who this is here on LinkedIn but but makes a great point exactly what I thought of uh, a I can't I think it was the um, I can't remember the name of the ship but basically uh, a ship containing hundreds of new Kias um, headed to Europe, I believe, Greg. Out of uh, Brunswick. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Out of Brunswick, went down. And it took, I mean, just trying to figure out how they were going to uh, attack the problem took forever. But but it's, it's amazing uh, what they have done to, to uh, reclaim a lot of that stuff. And that was John Riser. John Riser, thanks for, for pointing that out to us. Uh, Clay from again going back to the article on containers. Clay says there are around five to six million containers at sea at any given point in time. Uh, and one last comment on this article: um, <laughs> Tom Raftery says that this reminds him of his son's room too, but his son's <laughs> seventeen, so <laughs> got a, your son's got a few years on been there. All right, so let's. Uh, what I want to do here, we're going to try something new here, Greg and Kevin. Y'all ready? Oh, no. <laughs> All right. I'm ready. <laughs> so, Jamin, who hosts our Logistics and Beyond series, does a great job, knows the freight business, right? Well, over the weekend, as we are preparing the, the story and, and, and doing some other projects, we're like, hey, you're out there uh, near L.A., near Long, uh, Port of Long Beach. Can you go out there and kind of build some, uh, you know, give us a story, kind of like uh, who's the gentleman from Weather Channel that you don't want him to be Jim here today? Corey, yeah, you know the weather's horrible when right. you see Corey, right? Yeah, he, when he shows up, a tornado can't be far away. That's right. <laughs> no, I want him in your neighborhood. That's when Waffle Houses start closing. <laughs> so what we're trying to do here, Jamin is basically going to be our uh, supply chain now. It's Jim Cantore and give us a report from the port out there on the West Coast. So Clay, let's uh, can we play that? Um, that beautiful bean footage reminds me of a commercial. Hey, Jamin with Supply Chain Now. And as you know, Supply Chain Now, we don't just talk to you about the news, we get in it. So welcome, I'm in Huntington Beach reporting to you. Um, and as you can see, or actually right here, it's pretty blown out, real windy day, bad surf, uh, which is terrible, but a great day to look at ships. I'm sure you've heard about the port congestion in Long Beach and Los Angeles. As you can see behind here, we'll show you here to my left is Long Beach, about uh, 10 or so miles up the road. Uh, you can probably see those buildings off in the distance. That is Long Beach. And if you come down, you just see ships stacked, cargo ships, uh, all the way down the coast as we uh, work our way south here in Huntington. We go further down Newport Beach to the south where you can't quite see it, but there's ships off the coast there as well. This is not normal. Uh, what is normal anymore? But, uh, 
So there's music, about 20,000 containers per ship. That is a lot of freight just chilling off the coast of California. One good piece of news I've heard, currently uh, the dock workers, warehouse workers in uh, Long Beach are scheduled to get vaccinated uh, for COVID-19 in March. They're working hard to aggressively move that timeline up uh, because as we know with uh, Chinese New Year, high demand and also COVID-19 related issues, that's causing some of this congestion. So hopefully that will help alleviate it. But for the current time, even with some of those solutions for the next few weeks, looks like this is gonna be our view off the coast. So Supply Chain Now fam, I'll keep you uh, connected to what's going on, report and uh, deliver some videos uh, throughout the coming days. Stay connected with Supply Chain Now and thank you for tuning in. Take it easy. How cool was that? <laughs> I love how you wrap it up with take it easy. <laughs> well, but, but what gets me, and look, Jamin's got some chops. He, you know, he leads podcasts. He creates content. He's good at what he does. But I think that was a one take, and he jumped in it. He, he, he was showing us directionally, geographically. I mean, what a pro, huh? Yeah, was no doubt. Well, and what a scene, right? 20 miles worth of ships. Um, <laughs> you know, it reminds me of when I saw uh, – it reminds me of, of, of watching the ships come in in Singapore because their port is relatively small, and yet they're mm. the gateway to Southeast Asia for so many goods. Mm. Oh, yeah. Ships going through Malacca Straits there. That's just amazing. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep it coming. Jamin's right there in the thick of things, and uh, we look forward to maybe getting some other interviews there from from folks that are you know, stuck in wait mode. It's kind of like the Air Force. I don't, Kevin, I don't know if you can relate, but uh, certainly when I was in the Air Force, hurry up and wait was a <laughs> constant uh, refer, uh, yeah. uh, refrain that we heard. All right. So from Jamin is jamming. That's right. So from Jamin, Greg, I think we want to talk about, let me pull it back up here. I've got seven mice and eight TVs here. Bear with me. Uh, I think we're, we're, we're going to talk about one of our favorite topics, Instacart. And, you know, we've, we've talked about it before. Amanda and I, big fans of Instacart, yeah. how they kept things moving throughout the, the lockdowns. But tell us what else is going on Instacart here lately. Well, you know, when you look at this, at this headline, it, almost sounds like bad news, but the truth is it's really more a reflection of, of the time. So let me just give you an idea. So that what they intend to do is lay off about 1,877 workers who pick and pack grocery orders. They are continuing to, what they're continuing to do is reduce their employee count for conducting these services. Um, so these people will cease to become, cease to be Instacart uh, employees, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily without jobs. So um, it does affect about 10 unionized workers uh, of the United Food and Commercial Workers International Union, UFCW. And of course, like any good union would, when 10 people are affected, they're throwing a fit. But the truth is, this is, is not really an attack on unions. This is more a reflection of the desires and the economics of consumers and of retailers um, as consumer preferences have shifted during this seismic societal disruption, right, by our, caused by our uh, response to COVID, store pickup in, in retail grocery has increased dramatically. And if you've been to the, to the parking lot of your local Kroger store or 
picket, wherever you are, you may have seen the impact of eight or 12 or 20 parking spots dedicated to yep. grocery pickup, right? So like Kroger and Albertsons and others, what they really are trying to do is find some equilibrium in terms of economics in being able to do this. So what they want to do is take on the picking and packing them shell themselves for these orders because it's uh, it's additional staff effectively if the if the people from Instacart fill these orders and it's too costly and margins in grocery as most of us know are exceedingly tight. So um, so the the shift is going from people who are employed by Instacart in some cases, even gig workers of Instacart to um, many retailers taking on using their own apparently underutilized staff to, to fulfill some of these orders. But this has been an ongoing process since about 2018 by mm. Instacart. So they've been reducing uh, their employee staff, which is about 10,000 now, but get this, full service shoppers and other service providers Instacart, as gig workers, employs 500,000-plus contractors wow. to do this work. 500,000 people. Goodness. So, go ahead. Oh, I just say goodness. That's yeah, it is, it, well, it is, it is actually goodness. I mean, they are effectively, though not as employees, they are effectively employing half a million people, right? So, the benefit of that is the freedom of the gig economy gives people the flexibility to do what they want and to do more than one job. And, you know, what this makes me reflect on is the staid, stagnant, economically inefficient nature of, of unions in regard to this, um, where, for instance, if you, if you were a union, it could be possible that you could only pick and not pack the order. And you certainly mm -hmm. couldn't go grab a box in the back and fill the shelves if you needed to pick and pack your own order. The gig economy gives people the freedom to do whatever it takes at their hourly or contract rate to, to get the work done that they need to serve the consumer. And that's really the key is this is really reflectant of a shift of consumer sentiment. And in order for this to be sustainable for the for the retailers and for the consumers, it has to be economically effective. So the inefficiencies of unions are directly opposed to this. But still, 500,000 people can vouch for the validity of how this, this seems to be working. Mm. This is, um, I mean, it's, it's really a reflection of the times, but the, uh, when you don't have unions, you don't may not have someone that will, you know, get you medical care or get you time off or, or you know, get into the contract um, uh, child care. So th this is really a, a balancing act that we all have to understand and, and manage. It's uh, I'm, I don't have answers, but yeah. Uh, something that we are transitioning into. So uh, you can't be mad at the unions. You can't be mad at the uh, uh, gig workers. You have to find a new equilibrium. Yeah, it's all about economic equilibrium. And the presumption is that 500,000 people wouldn't do a job, right, <laughs> that they can't make a living wage at. Right. And, and it's, and, you know, and I think one of the things that 
we have to acknowledge is that some people, they want less intervention from be it unions or governments or whatever. They want to be able to do what they want to do. And to have that freedom, there is a trade-off, right? You're going to, you're probably going to get paid less, but you're going to have more flexibility. But 500,000 people can't be wrong. Right. Well, you know, um, uh, remarkable story. Uh, I, I love that. Try, we've got to find a new equilib- equilibrium and make sure no one's left behind. I mean, that, that's what business leaders have got to do. Um, and it really, you know, one of the things, one of the questions that comes to my mind is how you know, we've seen so many preferences change across mm-hmm. any generation. How long are those new preferences going to going to stay with us as we keep your fingers crossed, but get into as soon as possible into that post pandemic environment. So it's a fascinating study. We, we, you know, we've been uh, big users of Instacart and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully they can find uh, that new model that both of y'all are speaking to. Well, um, they'll have to right, or it'll go away. I mean, that's, that's right. just the fact of it. Uh, economics rule, regardless of whatever we want our altruistic <laughs> right. desires to be yeah. economics rule. I mean, I just posted an article on LinkedIn about, how retailers can um, maintain the loyalty of millennials and Gen Z, and even they are driven by economics, but they want the good cause and treating your employees well and that sort of thing. So it's a delicate balance. Again, equilibrium is really the right word for that, isn't it? Yeah, yep. but you know, it would be interesting to see how many of those Instacart picker and packers are also Uber drivers. Is this get- or DoorDash? Right. Uh, or DoorDash, they also do DoorDash. I mean, this may actually be a new profession. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. I, think very, I think it very well could be. Well, you know, it, it seems like there's a great opportunity um, for for these the, these different delivery services to team up and form strategic alliances and, and figure out a, 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 an enhanced model for these associates and, and, the, and these hardworking folks. So maybe that's in the cards in, in the weeks and months to come. We'll, well, we'll... I, and I think we have to think about it this way. So I have a Gen Z who is, uh, she waits tables, she works for the lady down the street and she's a DoorDash driver. And DoorDash or this may not be somebody's primary thing. It could just be filling time because Right. You, know, you can just flip on an app just like that and go earn an extra 75 bucks, which she does frequently on Saturday mornings. So, um, you know, I, I think we have to acknowledge that people have to have an outlet. If, if, if they want an outlet, I should say, it's great that someone is providing them with an outlet to provide them with, even if it's just n- not a living wage, even if it's just uh, additional money or spending money. Right. Right. People right. Are, they're choosing to work for, for it. Nobody's forcing these 500,000 people to do this job. Right. Well, you know, we shouldn't be surprised because we want everything else on demand. Why would we not want a job on demand when we, right. we wanted to work? Yeah. So, I think it's fantastic. Um, I really do. Yeah. I, love, I love the freedom that it gives to, um, to folks to be able to do it. They're not stuck sending their money to an organization. Agreed. Right. Yes, they can take control of their own, their own, uh, Healthcare and whatnot. Yeah. Their destiny. Uh, yeah. Well, great, fascinating story. We'll, we'll keep uh, our finger on the pulse there, see, see how that thing develops. Uh, we got a lot of comments here on the Jamin footage. <laughs> Sophia's got a great idea. We got to get him a mic and a mic flag, right? <laughs> and a t shirt. 
and it, it'll all be out on the way coming to you soon. As long Jamie. as you can still wear the Royals hat, that's fine with me. <laughs> David says, only thing we're missing is a helicopter reporter. Absolutely, David. Uh, <laughs> Sylvia, our very do, own. Do supply chain chase scenes. <laughs> Follow that truck. Yeah. Uh, Jim Kentori in logistics. Go, Jamin. Rhonda talks about how gorgeous. That's the first thing that got my attention is just how gorgeous the backdrop was. Very jealous. Thor asks if we're sending Jamin to Savannah next week. Hey, um, <laughs> who knows? We'll see. Depends on where news is being made. Uh, Tom is asking, going back to the Instacart, asking about living wage. Greg, you and you and we all kind of covered that. Great question, Tom. We gotta we gotta tackle that question. Um, no shortage of comments here. All right. So let's see. Up next, uh, Kevin, we want to talk mm. about some good news, right? We've got uh, help on the way for global supply chains. The new Biden administration's got a big uh, strategic plan of of um, you know sending resources to global supply chains. So tell us more about that. So actually, yeah, and and after last year's issue, <laughs> we talked about TP last uh, Thursday. But it wasn't just uh, that. Everything really suffered. And the, we, I think maybe we overshot globalization with respect to the supply chain and the dependence of the country on manufacturing overseas. Now, it's not that we should not manufacture overseas, but once again, it's an equilibrium, you know, um, all things in moderation. So the mm. new administration has a, a laser focus on supply chains. And they actually have a website, joebiden.com slash supply chains. I mean, uh, how many times has a president put supply chain <laughs> at the top of their their goals? Right. But this, this plan is to rebuild the U.S. supply chain to ensure that the, the country doesn't face future shortages of critical equipment. Mm. So some of the, the key points that I brought out of it is that they want to implement a fundamental reform that shifts uh, the production of a range of critical products back to the U.S. We were just talking about uh, chips and, and Intel, and, I'm sh and that is a critical product, right? So they want to shift these things back to U.S. soil to create new jobs, and to protect the U.S. supply chain against national security threats. But, you know, that may increase the cost of some of these commodities. The reason they went overseas to begin with was because of the cost of labor. Um, they also want to identify the national security risk across the international supply chains. And I think... Yeah. This is one of the most important items because we don't know what's critical to uh, security risk. Is TP a critical supply item? Does that threaten national security if you can't go when you have to go? The argument's there. <laughs> and also, and this is the most important thing, I think, and you kind of uh, you're hesitant when when the word Congress comes into the conversation, right? But he's going to ask Congress to enact a mandatory quadrennial critical supply chain review to institute this as a permanent 
process. And they're also going to invest in a new critical supply chain workforce. Okay, so I don't know if we're now going to have a, you know, a supply chain agency like the, uh, you know, TSA. We did TSA after 9-11. Is it now going to be a SCA? I, I don't know, but there's, there's right. a lot of stuff in here. Hmm. Well, you know, maybe uh, remember back in the day where uh, creating a czars was, was a big uh, priority. Maybe mm-hmm. we're going to have a supply chain czar. You know, maybe not a, uh, you know, if, if we can find the right, I think equilibrium is going to be the word of the day. Because I think <laughs> between the, what the government does and between what the free market does, there's got to be an equilibrium uh, where, where it is a sweet spot for getting stuff right. done, right? Where right. where people are taken care of, supply chains are protected, and business can can prosper. So. Regardless, uh, uh, perhaps inarguably, this administration may be the the uh, just out of sheer timing the most well versed on supply chain than any other previous administration. And regardless of your political affiliation, that's a great thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, Defense Production Act was originally uh, designed for war, right? to get the country to be able right. to respond quickly to, you know, physical war. Well, there's economic war, right? Right. And um, we, we need to, and this is where the supply chain comes in. And, and more and more, we are doing this with data, information, over the internet. There's a, there's a lot to unpack. Right. That information supply chain, which is, yeah. you know, I love your perspective uh, and I'd love to sit back and get some popcorn, a Diet Coke and watch you and Greg talk uh, <laughs> from a technology and a supply chain and a retail and an and entrepreneurial. There's so many wonderful forces here. But, uh, you know, this plays out on a lot of our digital transfer transformers conversations. This plays out to some degree, Greg, on Tequila Sunrise. Uh, and so, and some of the moves that, that that investors are making based on what where the need is, where the opportunity is, where the where the solutions are. So yeah. it, it's a fascinating time to be in supply chain for sure. And um, you know, of course, we want the the Biden administration to be really successful and really figure out a practical way of of insulating our supply chain or 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 uh, better equipping our supply chains. Yeah, uh, I think it's a better better equipment. I mean. When solar winds came out, everybody was thinking about, oh, IET, you know, right. malware, hackers. That's really was a supply chain attack on the information supply chain. Right. Because every business process today is implemented using software, mm. uh, software and APIs. And the APIs are the link in our information and digital supply chain. The APIs are back. I'm going to have to get studied up on that, Greg. Uh, so, Greg, anything you want to weigh in before we – I want both of y'all – I'm going to ask both yeah. of y'all what's coming up on your respective uh, shows and whatnot. But, Greg, any comments there uh, on this? Yeah, I, I think we've seen that – I mean, the Defense Production Act is the foundation of this that Kevin's talking about. And we've seen that it can be successful because the previous administration compelled the automakers to switch to producing uh, yeah. ventilators and whatnot, right? And um, and we, we know that we can produce these goods. And, and we've talked, Scott, since the very beginning of COVID about this, you know, the, what we felt would come 
this compulsion to reshore and nearshore and and onshore things. And we've talked about places like Puerto Rico, where we used to make a lot of our, uh, from the 50s till the early 2000s, we used to make a lot of our uh, medicines and things. And and then government regulation or the lack of support uh, from, you know, for the economy to make it cost effective, caused all those companies to move away. So this you know, this is like many things, hopefully an accelerant for uh, government to do the right thing. You know, I am loath to have government involved in anything, particularly supply chain. Yeah. Uh, I think I sound like Ron, what's his face from Parks and Rec, but, um, <laughs> but if what they can do is enable what lawyers should be dealing with, which is creating an economic and a legal environment that allows organizations to effectively operate onshore or or closer to shore or at least outside of the most dangerous domiciles on the planet like China then then I think that's a that's a great initiative so we'll see how you know how they build on what we've done in the past year or so and how they come up with something hopefully new and a more it seems like a much much more comprehensive plan doesn't yeah. it Agreed. Definitely. Um, Ron Swanson, uh, someone just said, there you go. Ron, Sw- Ron Swanson. Logavulin 16. <laughs> All right. So let, we got to get some of these comments. We got no shortage of comments here. Sylvia says supply chain finally got a seat at the dinner table. <laughs> and then uh, David says, <laughs> Not just the dinner table, but the adult table. We skip the kids' <laughs> table altogether. Doghouse, the dinner that. table. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> uh, Big Show Bob Bova is back with us. Bob, it's great to have you on the, our, our live streams. Love what you and the AccuSpeech mobile team are doing. Uh, he says medical equipment, masks, all need to be controlled here. Quality measured. Paying more needs to be balanced. Curious if the DLA will take a big role in the supply chain future control an examination. Good question there. We'll see. Uh, Kevin likes supply chain czar. He says he's going to walk that across the street to the White House. Oh, thank you, Kevin. That doesn't involve <laughs> any kind of billable hours, does it, Kevin? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, and let's see. Tom, this might be an inside joke. Souvenirs, Peter. Surely they can sell them and make a killing. Is that from Parks and Rec 2, Greg? <laughs> I don't think so. I think that's from previous discussion. Oh, okay. I got it. So Tom is ref- Tom was referring to the pins on Biden's desk here. Souvenirs <laughs> uh, make a killing. Uh, we had a um, an update there from the control room. Amanda, right around the corner, was was making that connection for me. All right. So really quick, <laughs> now I'm in trouble. She's coming. To, she's coming to get me. Um, let's give you the reader's digest version tequila sunrise digital transformers no shortage of shows content movers and shakers and 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 love what y'all have been doing there and for that matter love the show where y'all got together and with and greg you took a deeper dive in in a time uh kevin's background um but greg what else is coming with tequila sunrise what what a couple things that you can tease us with yeah, so uh, first, um, last week was BGSA, Ben Gordon, Strategic Advisory, his uh, supply chain conference. So we're going to try and get him on a future show, hopefully the live stream this week. Uh, we're still working on that. Hey, now you know how the sausage is made. Um, but also, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to do is kind of 9 to 13 minute shorts that really help founders and really help investors 
and really help executive management of these companies to improve their business. I want to really focus on some tips, some things that I've learned from doing things right and from wrong and from others. So, uh, you know, the goal being to help companies uh, improve their business as they as they grow. And there are a ton of great uh, founders out there that we're going to be talking to as well. Agreed. And in fact, we've gotten the call from from you, our community. Hey, we, we want Greg out there talking you know, M&A, talking entrepreneur stuff, talking deals, talking uh, entrepreneurial tips, you name it. You know, kind of the, the gamut that Tequila Sunrise really focuses on. And so we're going to answer that call, Greg, and I'm excited. Uh, again, yeah. I get to grab popcorn and kind of sit in the, in the cheap seats and, and learn myself. So stay tuned for that. And our team is working fast and furiously with the the um, the agent of of, of of bit one Ben Gordon, so we'll see if we can't make Thursday happen because he just they had a bunch of uh, thought leaders down in Florida just last week. Yeah, and we want to do more of those episodes on YouTube, and that's right. um, and that's the other reason they have to be short is because I can't stand being on the camera that long. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep it coming, Greg. Love the Tequila Sunrise Factory. All right, Kevin L. Jackson. So no shortage of projects, and I, I know that. Uh, it was, <laughs> you, you've added a board role since I think since the last time we sat down. Yeah. But this click the transform book that's just over your I think it's your left shoulder. Yeah, yeah it's blowing yeah. up. So yeah, get, yeah, give us some right there. Uh, buy, get it on Amazon. No. <laughs> well, it, it's a, it's on like several Amazon bestseller lists. All right. What's some what's been some of your favorite feedback you've heard? Well, actually, I'll, I'll um, announce. I don't know if I uh, really said a lot about this, but. You know, you're when you do something, when you write something, you want it to matter. And when I when I write, I'm I'm trying to inform people of like like Greg said, what I've learned, the right ways and the wrong ways. Um, and I'm really proud that uh, Click to Transform has been selected as a tech for a text for graduate education at Tulane University. So wow. I just kicked off teaching a course in leading transformation. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, uh, people are learning from, from this book. So that's really, that's, that's really great. And um, uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback from that. And in fact, I know uh, we're kind of short on time, but I, I don't want to, missed the opportunity to say thank you to the audience. I mean, last Thursday's uh, live stream, uh, Digital Transformers live stream, we had over 3,000 replays so already over, uh, you know, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. I mean, <laughs> and there were lots of questions around blockchain. And, and you know, many people weren't, really aware of the linkage of blockchain to Bitcoin and its applicability to software security. So the reason I bring that up, because we're looking forward to uh, having David Stellan on some future uh, Digital Transformers shows. I mean, him and his, his organization are really uh, key to the future of online commerce, commerce and uh, digital supply chain, yeah, and right. um, and just as a, a bit of a teaser, we also had uh, an executive from AT and T on uh, about a month ago, 
and they're coming back. <laughs> it's gonna be a great story to watch, and and just yeah. thoughts for a handful of folks maybe maybe couldn't make that uh, that live stream last Thursday. Uh, David Stalin is CEO of the Telecommunications Industry Association, which is is really the voice of the, of the ICT space, which is critical. And we were talking about how to secure uh, that supply chain, which you, you know we've, we've referenced here the information supply chain and connectivity numerous times during just this show, securing that so that we can you know, continue to have data, information, and communications at our fingertips is critical, as we all know. All right, no, uh, Kevin and Greg, no shortage. It's tough to do it justice in a couple minutes with either of y'all. I love to hear all the different things you've got going on you know, within the supply chain now community and beyond. Uh, so let's um, we're going to wrap on one thing here because I am going to start beating the drum for – um, hopefully some moves that the Braves, the Atlanta Braves are going to make. So uh, if you've known me and, and many of our team members here, certainly Clay Austin and Amanda and Greg and, and many of our team members, we're big Atlanta Braves fans, right? Well, unfortunately, we lost an absolute um, legend, not just for baseball, but, but for society. Hank Aaron passed away, I think it was last Friday morning. And, you know, I was I was getting to know his story a little bit more over the weekend. Uh, Greg and uh, Kevin, born in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. he heard Jackie Robinson speak when he was 13 years old, and that is what propelled. That's that's when becoming a major league baseball player really was cemented in his brain. Gosh, did he not do that first to break the color barrier in the South Atlantic League, right? Uh, and then, of course, on April 8th, 1974. He broke one of the biggest records in all of sports, right? He, he broke Babe Ruth's home run record. But as, legend, as, as legendary as that was, that still didn't top everything else he did for the civil rights movement, for society in general, and, and for all, all the different communities he was involved in, from Milwaukee to Atlanta to West Palm Beach and many others. Guy was a titan, him and his family, a, a titan uh, for society. 23 seasons, uh, and incredible. So – here, this is what we're going to do. So here we, we're based in Atlanta, and you know when when legendary when legends of the game pass, um, you know typically it's a shoulder patch, right, with their number. Well, that's not good enough, and I want to I want to you know we want to bang the drum here, Major League Baseball, the Atlanta Braves. We need to rename where the Braves play at a minimum, Hank Aaron Field, right? Uh, we love sponsors and financial institutions, but this guy. At a minimum, how cool would it be to put his name on the lips of every single fan that's going to catch a game in Atlanta? That's the, that's the kind of uh, recognition that uh, his journey deserves. So we'll see. But uh, prayers and uh, certainly uh, thoughts, best wishes to the the Aaron family. Um, what a titan, titan of a of a uh, change agent, athlete, you name it. So the reason I played baseball as a kid, actually. Actually, not because of his home run prowess, but because he also holds a number of other records, like the most RBIs in a season. That's right. Um, I, I'm all. I've always been the hugest Hank Aaron fan. I wore 44 as a kid uh, on every little league team. I, I actually didn't play on one little league team because somebody else was wearing 44, and I went to another team. <laughs> um, I'm a huge. I'm such a huge fan, Scott. That. Um, Hank Aaron owned uh, owned car dealerships around Atlanta. I drove 70 miles to his BMW dealership on the south side of Atlanta to 
just to buy a car from Hank Aaron and to shake his hand, uh, which, wow. which he still did even wow. in 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, you know, and I'm not, I have no special inside knowledge, but I, I do have followed this fairly closely because it hit me while I was driving and I almost had to pull over to the side of the road. But the solace that I have, and I think the solace we can all have is that his family was expecting this. He died peacefully in his sleep. Um, and they seem to be, uh, all of them at least that have sounded off to be at peace with them, with it themselves. So mm. great man in baseball, great man on the planet, still the home run King, no asterisk. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, one of the greatest human beings you could have ever met. Absolutely. You know, uh, and Kevin, I welcome your comments here really quick. You know, as the Braves went through name changes and before the current sponsor, SunTrust, right? SunTrust with, with the new stadium. And what's so interesting is uh, at, whenever we went to a game, whenever you're talking about where you're going, you're, you're talking, hey, headed to SunTrust, right? It became part of the vernacular in Atlanta. And that's why, I mean, perhaps on its face, renaming a stadium or a field, you know, seems symbolic, but that's why it's so important because how fans, it becomes part of language. And then it keeps what the incredible thing that uh, journey and the impact he had makes it even so important because it keeps it front and center. So Kevin, a couple quick thoughts from you as we wrap up today's uh, live stream. First of all, sports is not just sports. It's part of our culture. It's part of society and the, um, People that participate in sports, you know, have a responsibility to society. Hank Aaron really epitomized an individual that understood the value of his position and the contribution it could make to society. Last year, um, we have seen, you know, uh, social and, and uh, unrest, cultural uh, divisions. People like Hank Aaron can really help meld and put us back together. And uh, I, I really mourn his, his passing, and I look forward to uh, the next sports hero mm. that will step up to become society's hero. Well, gosh, yeah. very well said. Uh, and, and that's that's uh, a perfect note to wrap up today's live stream. Appreciate both of your uh, both you gentlemen's comments there on the one and only Hank Aaron. And Aaron says it great here too. Makes other players want to be like him and strive to be a better citizen. Thanks so much for joining us, Aaron. And, and great point there. Um, okay, so uh, to all of our community members, thanks so much, uh, Greg and Kevin. It's been a, a pleasure to tackle the buds with both of you here today. Kevin, you're you're a natural. You just you jump right in and don't miss a beat. <laughs> I've um, been watching you for a while. I've looked at all of your YouTube shows. <laughs> <laughs> that's so a long that. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, Scott and Greg. <laughs> well, it's it's a pleasure. I really enjoy this uh, new relationship and partnership we've built, and, and really have raged into the new year, uh, diving into digital transformers. Greg, always a pleasure. Tequila Sunrise, some really cool stuff right around the corner. Hey, to our uh, uh, community members, of course, as always, if you want to um, find out anything that we've referenced here today, you can find it at supplychainnow.com, the voice of global supply chain, and and certainly you know, trying to serve as those facilitators of great information, resources, best practices, 
the frank conversations, what touches on some of the challenges that Kevin just 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 uh, mentioned a few few minutes ago. There's no shortage of challenges impacting global business and global society. But hey, you're here amongst friends. Thanks for joining us here today on behalf of Greg White and Kevin L. Jackson, the whole team, Amanda and Clay, and the whole team behind us that make these things happen. Big thanks to our community. Scott Luton signing off for now. Do good, give forward, be the change, be like Hank Aaron. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.